0: One of my favorite sayings, and we just sung it, there's nobody like Jesus, never has been, never will be. We are so thrilled that you're here. We are one church in two locations. We have actually two campuses. I'm preaching today from our Sugarloaf campus. We also have a campus at Mill Creek. I welcome them today and those who are watching online. Uh, The other campus is about 20 minutes to our north. And I want to encourage you, if you're one of those many people that watch us online, go to The Real Deal, check it out, see what God is doing here in our church. Well, uh, we've all been here. I've been there, you've been there, in a situation where you felt like you were boxed in and there really was no way out. You're coming to the end of the month, but you've already come to the end of the money. Been there. The rent's due, so is the electric bill, and you don't have the bucks to pay it. It appears as if there's no way out. Or maybe you're out of a job. Maybe you've applied for four or five or six different jobs and you've been rejected by all of them and you think it's not that I don't have a way out, I don't have a way in. Or it may be that uh, you feel like that uh, you're just hopelessly hooked on drugs or pornography or alcohol or bitterness or jealousy or lust. And you think it's not that I don't have a way out, It's not that I don't have a way in. I don't even have a way through. I'm literally at a point in my life where I'm absolutely convinced I am completely out of options. You're in what we call a predicament. Now, we use all kinds of phrases to describe those kinds of situations that we find ourselves in. You know, you've heard it all before, right? Up the creek without a paddle, right? Or you're in a jam. Or down south, we like to say you're between a rock and a Hard place, or you're just wrapped up in kudzu, okay? And you're just completely out of options. You're in the proverbial catch 22. We've all been in those situations where you look at your situation and it appears from everything you see that no matter what you do, no matter which path you take, no matter which decision that you make, you're doomed. Not gonna work out. It can be related to your job. You may be thinking about your marriage. It may be about your kids. It may be about something that you're dealing with personally. But it seems like everywhere I turn, doesn't matter whether I go north, south, east, or west, it's a dead-end street. You are in a real predicament. Now, the best definition of a predicament I have read is this one. A predicament occurs when an attorney who specializes in suing doctors for medical malpractice finds himself in need of major surgery. That is a big, big predicament. Well, if you're a guest of ours today and you just showed up, you've not been here ever before, or maybe you've been missing for a while, we've been in a series that we've called Out of Options. Because as you go through life, you're going to find yourself in situations, sometimes it will be your fault, sometimes it won't. Sometimes you purposely walked into it, sometimes you just fell into it. You're going to find yourself in situations in life where it looks like it doesn't matter which way I go, there's simply no way out. I am out of options. And what we've been saying for the last three weeks is very simple. We've been saying over and over, with God, you are never out of options, ever. With God, you are never out of options. Well... Today, we're going to look at the greatest catch-22 that I think that anyone has ever faced in history. As a matter of fact, it is the biggest predicament that the nation of Israel ever faced. And yet, they would live to tell about it. They would go through it. They would be through it. They would live through it. And they still tell the story to this day. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to talk about this morning... Is still the most celebrated event in the nation of Israel and in the history of that country. As a matter of fact, it's so great, two movies have been made about what we're going to talk about today. One was made many, many, many years ago, won a lot of Academy Awards. One was made just this year. And all I've got to do is just tell you two words, and you know exactly what the story is going to be about today. It's called The Exodus. So if you brought a copy of God's Word this morning or an iPad or a smartphone or whatever it is you're using today, I want you to turn to the book of Exodus. I've told you last week, I think. We were in it last week. That's the second easiest book in the Bible to find because it's the second book in the Bible. So you just go to Genesis, take one more turn to the right, and you'll be in Exodus. I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 14, and we're going to pick up the the, the story this morning right out of the gate in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back, and encamp in front of Pi between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, when you read that, that means nothing to you, right? You don't know. You don't know where Migdol is. You don't know where Pi is. You have no idea what Baal Zephon is. So let me just kind of set this up for you. Get get a map in your mind. What you're reading in verses, verse, verses 1 and 2 is this. Israel is caught like a rat in a trap. They have nowhere to go. Beel Zaphon was a geographical cul-de-sac. It was a dead-end street. Here's what the Israelites faced. God had led them to a place now. They're, they're, they're now encamped in this place, and anywhere they looked, the option was bad. If you go to the north, there were huge Egyptian fortresses there. There were these massive strong structures, could not be successfully attacked. If you went to the south, there was nothing there but the Egyptian desert desert, and they had no water, they had no food, they had no protection. If you went to the west, there was Pharaoh and Egypt and the army. Well, if you went to the east, there was the Red Sea. Today we call it the Gulf of Suez, but there was this Red Sea. So it didn't matter what direction Israel looked in, north, south, east, or west, you're looking at either death, or you're looking at defeat, or you're looking at destruction. You say, well, you stay put. If you stay put, you die. So it certainly looks like they're out of options. There is no place to go. Now, normally, I would spoil the ending by telling you what happens, but you probably already know what happens, right? I mean, you've seen the movie. If you hadn't read the book, you'd seen the movie. So God parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel pass through. He then closes the waters back on the Egyptian army. He drowns them, and he saves the day. Now, let me just take time out. Maybe there's someone out there today, maybe you're watching online or you hear this message later on and you're probably thinking to yourself, come on, dude. I mean, you got a PhD. This is a 21st century. You don't really believe this story happened exactly the way it happened. Well, absolutely and exactly, I really do. And I've heard all the theories of people that try to water it down, okay, pun intended, okay. I, I understand, as a matter of fact, I, I, I kind of feel like I was reading the other day about a professor in university, and he was teaching this class on the Bible as literature, and he told the class, they get, they get to the story about the Red Sea, and he said, now all of you in this class know, obviously, it really wasn't a Red Sea. As a matter of fact, it was called the Sea of Reeds, and it was really only about six inches deep, and it really wasn't a sea at all. Well, he kind of paused. He was expecting this strong counter-argument, and sure enough, there was a student in the class that was known as a very strong Christian, very strong believer in the Bible, and so he raised his hand, and the professor kind of got braced. He said, yes, what's your question? He said, are are you being serious? He said, you're telling me that it really wasn't the Red Sea. It really was just a sea of reeds, and it was really only six inches deep. Is that really what you're telling me? And the professor said, that's exactly what I'm telling you. And the, the Christian student said, Prof, that is one of the greatest things I have ever heard in my life. And the professor said, you mean, you you like that explanation? He said, absolutely. He said, you better believe it. He said, I never realized until now that all those armies of Egypt drowned in six inches of water. What a miracle. (laughs) Now, it doesn't matter to me whether it was 60 feet or six inches. It does because I believe it was more than six inches. But the point is, yes, Jesus believed this happened. Paul believed it happened. I believe that it happened. Now, whether you believe it or not, let me just say this to you. I have saved the best lesson for last. We've been talking about what do you do when you're out of options. We've been saying to you over and over, if there's a God in heaven, if there's a God on the throne of the universe, if there is a God that's in control of everything that's going on in my life, I am never out of options. With God, there is always an option. All right, now. Here's the lesson I want you to listen to today. This is big. Let me stop right here. What I'm about to share with you is why a lot of marriages don't make it and people get divorced when the marriage could have worked out. What I'm about to share with you today is why some people are in jail today because they decided to take matters into their own hands. What I'm about to share with you today is the reason why a lot of friendships get destroyed and a lot of good relationships go down the tubes because people really don't live by what I'm about to share with you today, all right? And I've saved the best lesson for last. When you are out of options and you think there's nothing else you can do, I want you to remember this. When we have done what is possible, God can do what's impossible. When we have done what is possible, God can do what is impossible. Now, let me just stop say this. God never expects us to do the impossible. I'm going to say that again because some of you don't, don't get it. Some of you get frustrated because you're trying to do what you can't do, and you shouldn't try to ever do that. God never expects us to do what is impossible. God never expects us to do what only he can do, however He does expect us to do what we can do, and only when we do what we can do, will he then do what he only can do. So, when you are in a catch-22, it looks like no matter which way you go, things are not going to work out. Here is what you need to do. It's right out of the book of Exodus. All right, three very simple lessons today. You ready? Number one. You go where God leads you to go. When you don't know what else to do, you go where God leads you to go. Now, I want you, let's go back. I want you to keep in mind about where these Israelites have been living for the last 430 years. They've been living in Egypt. And all these Israelites that God was about to deliver through Moses, all they had known for 430 years was slavery. They had long ago forgotten God, They had quit going to the the synagogue. They quit worshiping God centuries and centuries ago. They weren't even Israelites yet. You understand, these Israelites were Egyptian to the core. All they'd ever known was Egyptian language. All they'd ever known was Egyptian culture. All they'd ever known was Egyptian rules. All All they'd ever known was Egyptian slavery. That's all they'd ever known. They were Egyptian to the core. And for 400 years, they had ignored God. Now they've got to learn to adore God. And so, we've got to go back now to this point in time. They're here in this geographical cul-de-sac. There's no way to go. North, south, east, or west. None of those directions are going to work at all. Well, how did they get in this predicament? Well, go down to verse 18. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now, I want you to listen to that phrase again. Listen to it. God led the people toward the Red Sea. So why were they in this geographical cul-de-sac? They had made a mistake. They didn't make a wrong turn. They had not failed to ask for directions. As a matter of fact, they did have GPS. It was known as God's positioning system. God had purposely led them to this dead end. Now that let me just stop and say this for a moment. Let's call time out. You say, "Wait a minute." You're telling me that God led them to a place where there was no way out. That's exactly right. Listen, the news is worse than that. God will lead you to where there's no place out. God will lead you to dead ends. God will lead you into cul-de-sacs. You say, wait a minute, why does God do that? Real simple. God often leads us to a dead end. So we will learn to trust him and to follow him out. God leads us to a dead end so we will learn to trust him and follow him out. See, there's something I've had to learn in my own life that I hope some of you will learn today. Particularly if you've been a believer for a long time, there's one school you never graduate from. There's one school you never finish. There's one school you'll never get a degree and God says, okay, there's nothing else for you to learn. You know what that school is called? It's called the school of faith. You never get out of the school of faith. You never quit learning to trust God because faith is not a talent that you were born with. Faith is a lesson that you learn and God is the professor. And every day, many times God will say, I've got a new lesson to teach you today about trusting me. I've got a new reminder today to teach you to depend on me. I've got a new way I wanna show you how you got to have faith in me. And the truth of the matter is, you never learn to quit trusting in God and you never learn all about faith that you ought to learn. now. The bad news was God had led them to the Red Sea. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Verse 21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. Now, if you don't hear anything else in this message, I want you to hear the next three sentences, then you can go back to sleep. God never leads us where he does not first go before us. God never leads us where he does not first go before us. Now, here's the deal. Here's how it works. And this is why a lot of you are unhappy. This is why a lot of you are frustrated. This is why a lot of you are literally about to foul your life up if you don't hear someone about to tell you. If you follow God, God goes with you. But if you don't follow God, you go by yourself. If you follow God, God goes with you. But if you don't follow God, you go by yourself. And you're going to see in just a moment, yeah, there are times that God will lead you to a place of despair He'll lead you to a place of desperation. He'll lead you to a place where you can't sleep at night and you're walking the floor and you're thinking, what am I going to do? I've got a situation I cannot control. I've got a problem I cannot solve. I've got a question that I cannot answer. And there are gonna be times that God's gonna lead you to that place of despair and desperation and you will stay there until you finally decide, I'm gonna turn my place of despair and desperation into a place of dependence upon God. You know, one of the things we ought to do every day be a good exercise every morning. We ought to sign a declaration of dependence, not a declaration of independence. We ought to sign a declaration of dependence. We ought to get up every morning and we ought to say, Lord, no matter what happens to me today, I want you to know something. I get it. I am totally dependent upon you. Not only am I gonna depend on you today to lead me wherever you want me to go, but wherever you take me, I'm also gonna depend on you to make a way out and help me to get out of whatever I might get into today. I'm totally dependent upon you. Now, you may be sitting there today, and you may be saying, but I don't like Red Seas. I don't either. But you know what hit me like a ton of bricks when I was working on this message the other day? You cannot cross the Red Sea until you come to the Red Sea. You can't cross one until you come to one. And there are times that God leads us to these Red Sea experiences of our lives because God knows something. You will never experience the power of God. You will never experience the grace of God, the love of God, the glory of God until you allow God to put you in a place where he's the only one that can lead you out. He's the only one that can make a way out for you. He's the only one that can resolve the catch-22 that you find yourself in. That's why the greatest way to know God and to experience God and the only way to experience God is to make up your mind, I'm going to follow God wherever he leads me. That's step one. If you want to get out of your situation, if you want to resolve your situation, number one, you've got to go wherever God leads you to go. That's why so many couples never work their marriage out. Because I've had couple after couple come into my office. And, I, and, and listen, I have never met a marriage God can't heal. I've never met a marriage yet that God couldn't put back together. The problem is not God can't do it. The problem is when you tell the husband, okay, this is where you need to go. And you tell the wife, this is where you need to go. And when they both say, I'm not going there, then I have to say that I can't help you. Because if you follow God, he'll go with you. You don't follow God, you'll go by yourself. So step number one, you've got to make up your mind sitting in your chair this morning. You've got to make up your mind watching that computer. You've got to make up your mind at our other campus. You've got to make up your mind right now. I'm going to go where God leads me to go. That's step one, all right? Here's step two. Then you've got to do what God tells you to do. Not enough just to go where God tells you to go then you've got to do what God tells you to do. Now, this is the point in, in the movie where the music lets you know that the climactic scene is about to take place, right? You, we all know those points in the movies, right? There's, there's kind of this crescendo in the music, and you kind of know, okay, this is, this is the climax. I've got to really pay attention. Now, here's where the Israelites are. Just, just put yourself in their position. They can hear the hooves of the horses thundering down upon them. They could see the swords and the spears gleaming in the sun. They could feel the heat of the fire coming out of the eyes of Pharaoh himself. It looks like they are literally in the last moments of their lives with no way out. Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment, you're Moses. Moses. They've been following you all this time, and you come into their lives. They didn't know who you were, you know, just a few weeks ago. Now you're the leader of this nation, and they've they've put all their faith in you and their trust in you, and you've just simply led them where, where God told you to lead them. Now I want you to imagine now, you're standing there before two million people. They have followed you to this point, and you're looking at a Red Sea in front of you and death behind you. So you're Moses. So what would you say to those people right now? I know what I'd be tempted to say. Run! Or you might be tempted to ask, "Does, um, does anybody have a white flag? Or I know how some of us would probably be reacting. And I've done this before. You probably would feel like looking up to heaven and saying something like this. Why do I even bother listening to you sometime? I mean, this is a, th- th- I can't believe you've led me to where you've led me, and I can't believe I've led them to where I've led them, and they're about to hang me from the highest tree. Well, no, Moses doesn't do any of that. Now what's this. This is so cool to me, and yet it's, it's a little bit aggravating. How does Moses respond? Listen to verse 13. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Now, You're one of those two million Israelites, and you hear the who's, and you see the spears, you feel the heat, and Moses says to you, fear not. Now, you know, you would just want to you just look at him and go, is that all you got? That's it? Fear not? I can just hear a Jewish Johnny Cash singing in the background. I hear that train are coming. It's rolling around the bend. Egypt's about to stick their swords in our back end. And I mean, I'm telling you, they're going, man, what? And the best you've got is, fear not. That's all you got to say. Well, it gets better. Moses isn't done, right? He keeps going. He's on a roll. Verse 13, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. Sounds like psychopop, You know, be confident. Fear not. Don't run. Be calm. Stand still. Stay firm. Think positive. Just watch and see the foul salvation of the Lord. Now, I want to ask you a question. Why is Moses giving them this advice when it looks like it's curtains? It looks like they're going to die a violent death. It looks like the entire nation is going to be wiped out. The end is near. And he says, fear not. Stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord. Let me tell you why. Because what most of us tend to do when the heat's on, The pressure cooker is turned up. It looks like there's no way out. Here's what most of us tend to do. We panic. We get afraid. We even convince ourselves, well, this is so bad, God, even you can't work it out. And what I want you to learn is this. It's in that moment when the pressure is the highest. It's in that moment when the fire is the hottest. You can't panic. You've got to listen to the voice of God. And I make a promise to you that God will always keep. If you'll listen... He'll speak to you. He'll talk to you. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. He will tell you exactly what he wants you to do. But once he shows you what to do, and once you've done all that you know to do, then you've got to simply wait and see what God will do. And let me just give you a practical illustration of how I know this works every single time. Twelve years ago, God led me to do something that, 15 years ago, I would have bet everything I had, I would have never done. 14 years ago, would have bet you, never would have done what God led me to do. But 12 years ago, God led me to start this church with a core of about 200 people. Now, I led these people. Here's how how I led. I led these people out of a strong, stable church with beautiful state-of-the-art facilities to a high school cafeteria. And I also led them to this piece of property that, A, we couldn't afford to buy. How could 200 people buy 70 acres and 400,000 square feet of buildings? Not only could we not buy it, if we could buy it, how are we going to retrofit it so we could have our own facility? And yet, here's all I knew in those days 12 years ago. I knew God had led me to do what I was doing. But I'm going to be honest with you. In that period of time, I was absolutely consumed 24-7. How are we going to pay for this property? How are we going to buy this property? And and even if we could buy it, we won't have any money to renovate it, to use it. How are we going to do that? But then there came a moment, I can almost tell you the exact spot where it happened. There came a moment in my life when I realized, you know what? I've just followed where God has told me to go. I've just done what God has told me to do. I've, I've done those things. And now I realized it's just time for me just to relax Trust God and just watch what God would do and entrust Him for the results. I can remember the moment almost, I can show you the place at my house where it happened. Two days after that moment in my life, two days, I got a phone call. You know the story from the two men that bought this property. And they called to tell me they were giving us the property, just giving it to us. Didn't ask them to do it. They just called out of the blue and said, we're going to give you the property, and the rest is history. So I want you to do something right now. I really want you to, just take a moment, just look around. Just, just right now, just look around. Just literally, I want you to do this. I'm, I'm serious, look around. Because what you're looking at is living proof that God always acts right on time. Always, never late, never early, always on time. And I'm telling you today, when you're standing, listen, if you're standing before a Red Sea in your life, I'm telling you, God will part that sea. He will do it. He may not do it in your time, but he will always do it. Now, I'm sure these Israelites got very, very impatient. I'm sure they're going um, any time now. Can you kind of hurry it up? Well, got some news for you. God doesn't wear a watch. You've thought about that? God doesn't wear a watch. You say, well, God doesn't need a watch. He knows what time it is. Oh no, it's better than that. You know why God doesn't wear a watch? Time means nothing to God. Only one thing means something to God. I've told you this before. You know what it is? It's not time, it's what? Timing. Time means nothing. God's motto is, timing is everything. And just let me tell you this, listen to me. You've been facing a Red Sea for a long time, some of you have, and you're so frustrated with God. You say, I'm telling you, I'm so frustrated, I'm so upset. I need this, or I want that. I need this. I want to go there, do this, want to accomplish that. And God never seems to come through. Can I tell you something? God will never, ever part that Red Sea you're facing in your life until you go where he tells you to go, and you do what he tells you to do. But watch this. This, Now we come to the best part. When you go where God tells you to go, they had done that. When you do what God tells you to do, they're going to do that, then here's what happens. Then you can believe what God says he will do. When you do what God tells you to do, you go where God tells you to go, then believe what God says he he will do. So let's set up the final scene for the story because God's set the hook. God's, God's already got the bait on the hook for this Egyptian army. You know the story back in verse 4. Here's what God said He's going to do. God said to Moses, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all of his host and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Let me just keep that up on the screen for just a moment. Now watch this. God said, Moses, Time to pull out, time to go. Now, Moses, I've led you to this cul-de-sac. I've led you to a dead end. I've led you to a place where it looks like you're totally out of options. But Moses, remember, with me, there's always an option. You're never out of options, okay? So Moses, now, just, just trust me on this. When, when you see what's about to happen, I'm gonna do four things, Moses. I'm gonna harden Pharaoh's heart, okay? Go back. I want, I'm gonna harden Pharaoh's heart. He is going to pursue you. I will get glory over him. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Now, let's just, we're going to see, let's just see how this unfolds. First of all, God says, now, Moses, I'm not going to make this easy on you. And I'm not going to make it easy for these Israelites to make their escape. And you know why I'm not going to do that, Moses? Because if I do make it easy, they'll think they did it on their own. They'll think they pulled it off themselves. They'll think because they were slick people or they were good people or they were wonderful people that they got through this on their own. And they'll get the glory. They'll pat themselves on the back. And once again, I'm going to be left out in the cold just as I have been for 430 years. And I'm not going to let that happen because remember, God always has a method to his madness. God always knows what he's doing when he's doing something. And God all know always knows what he's doing when he's doing nothing. So now we read this in verse 9. The Egyptians pursued them. Let me just stop. He said Pharaoh's heart would be hardened. It was. He said the Pharaohs would pursue them. Uh, the Egyptians would pursue them. They did. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Roth in front of Baal Zephon. Now, now get the picture. Pharaoh's pulled out all the stops. He has six. Of his finest officers, 600 of his best chariots, 600 of his best horses being ridden in the Egyptian army. Let me tell you who these 600 people were that was leading the charge. They weren't just 600, but these were the 600. They they were in charge. They were the Delta Force, they were the Navy SEALs, they were the Army Rangers. They were the special forces. Pharaoh had his best so Israel could experience his worst. And you know what? Pharaoh has Israel right where God wants them. Because all God says to Moses now is this. Moses, about face, he's facing the Red Sea. All right, Moses, ready? Okay, yeah, Lord, what do I do? Say two words, forward march excuse me, can I at least have a rubber duck, forward march? Moses, just start marching. Now, let me, just, let me just stop right here. Put yourself in this position. No nation had ever done this before, by the way, our sins. This is the first time that an entire nation had ever marched out from under bondage of another nation ever. First time without firing a shot, without wielding a spear, without drawing a sword. And by the way, do you think Moses knew what, do you think Moses understood what was happening? Do you think Moses knew what he was doing? I mean, get this in your mind. Moses had never led an exodus before. There was, was, schools didn't have a degree in exodusology. There there, there was no customer service number, no 1-800-EXODUS hotline you could call. There were no books out there like uh, Idiot's Guide to Exodus or Exodus for Dummies. I mean, you couldn't go to YouTube and watch a tutorial on how to do an Exodus. I mean, there was nothing to do, there was nothing to do now except one thing. Just got to trust God. God tells me to go forward. I just got to believe God and do what God tells me to do. God has told me what to do. My only job when God tells me what to do is to do what God tells me to do and then believe God will do what God says he will do. So, Now comes the part that all the kids love, right? We all love this part, verse 27. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the sea returned to its normal course. They've they've crossed over. And the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. You had not read the book, you've seen the movie, right? God, Moses takes his rod, holds it over, the, over, holds it over the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts. The Israelites cross over. Then God, you know, God, uh, there's this gigantic wall of water, and two million Israelites make their way through onto dry land, and the Egyptian army follows like lambs going to the slaughter. God removes his hand, and the wall collapses just like a dam breaks, and this wall of water covers the Egyptian army, and they're all drowned. Right, Great, great part of the story. Great climax. We all love that part of the story. And uh, I I believe the Israelites probably broke out into that old song that we've heard many times before. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was was in Egypt, but now I'm found and old Pharaoh's in the sea. I mean, they were singing that song. They were so excited. They were so thrilled about what God had done. But you know what? This isn't even close to being the end of the story because the greatest thing that really happened, and this is what we miss sometimes. You know, how many times have you read this story, and every time you read it, or maybe you read it to your kids or your grandkids, you go, man, isn't that cool? Isn't it cool how God parted that Red Sea? And isn't it cool how they crossed over that dry land? And then isn't it cool how God just kind of let the waters come back and killed all the Egyptian army? And we think that's the best part of the story. That's not even close to the best part of the story. Listen, here's why this story is still celebrated by the Jewish people. And here's why this why we should celebrate it as followers of of Christ. God had kept every promise he made, every single one. His heart was hardened. They pursued. They were delivered. The Egyptians are wiped out. God gets the glory. And the Egyptians acknowledge it, right? The Egyptians are wiped out just as God said they would be. God said, I will be glorified, and he was. And you remember what he said? He said, oh, and they will finally know I am the Lord. Well, you go back to verse 25, and I want you to hear the last words of this Egyptian army just before they drowned and just before they died. And the Egyptians said, let us free from the Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now, you've read that maybe many times in your life and never paid any attention to it. Do you understand what, what just happened here? Do you understand who the Egyptians are? They're pagans. They've got multiplicities of gods. Pharaoh, time after time after time after time, denied God, disobeyed God. He shook his fist in the face of God. He even denied that there was a God out there that they really worshiped. He thought everything happened just by luck. And the wall of water is about to close in. And for the first time, these pagan Egyptians said, he is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. They even called him by his name, the Lord. And for the first time, The nation of Israel had come home to their God. Verse 30 and 31, listen to this. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. Now this is the first time we read this, watch this. And they believed in the Lord, parenthesis, For the first time in 430 years, they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. That's why this is such a great story. After 400 years... They didn't know who Abraham was. They'd forgotten about Isaac. They'd forgotten about Jacob. They'd forgotten about Joseph. They'd forgotten about God. They'd forgotten about the Word of God. After 430 years of forgetting God, they had come back to believing God. So here's the question. What did they learn? And what have we learned? Here's what we now know. When you're in a catch-22 and you say, you know what? I wish I could talk to you one-on-one. You, I don't know if you preach so strong like you're preaching now, because let me tell you something. I am in a situation right now that is totally out of my control. I don't doubt that. I really don't. But I'll tell you something that you leave out when you say that. You may be in a situation where it's totally out of your control but every situation is firmly in God's control. This world appears on the outside from all we've even seen the last couple of days in that terrible, horrific happening in Paris. It looks like the world's out of control. Let me tell you something, God is firmly in control. God's hand's on the throttle. His hand's on the steering wheel. He knows exactly what he's doing. And when you come to a place in your life and you say, you know, Pastor, I'll just be honest. I just don't know where to look. There's one place you can always look, up. You can always look up. Think about it. Not a single Egyptian lived through that ambush, and not a single Israelite got a scratch in the attack, not one. God said, I told you I would do what I said I would do. And you get that picture? Hebrews that next day walked along the seashore, saw it littered with Egyptian bodies. And yet, how many people had they killed? Not a one. How many swords had they brandished? Not a one. How many spears had they thrown? Not a one. How many battles had they fought? Not a one. All they did, they followed God where God told them to go. They did what God told them to do, and they believed what God said he would do. But that still isn't the end of the story. I can't leave us there. Now, you're Moses. So the good news is you have brought two million people through this sea. The water has closed. The Egyptian army is dead. Pharaoh will never bother you again. And you're on the other side. So you're Moses. I got a question. So how do you sleep that night? When you sleep like a baby? You say, well, why wouldn't you? Well, think about what you got to do now. You've got to lead somewhere between two and three million people through a wilderness, which would require 15,000 tons of food every day. That's enough food that would require two freight trains one mile long every day to feed them. they need 4,000 tons of firewood every day, which would fill more freight, a few more freight trains each a mile long. And oh, you're going to wind up having to do that for 40 years. Every day, seven days a week, and you don't get a day off. Oh, 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 I didn't let me just throw this in. It will take 11 million gallons of water to drink and bathe every day, which would take a freight tank, train with tank cars 1,800 miles long to pull that off. Well, let's go back. How about just getting them through the Red Sea that night? You understand that if they had marched double file across the Red Sea, that line would have stretched 800 miles long and would have taken 30 days and nights to get through it? Well, the Bible says they walked through it in one night. Well, if there were 2 million of them and they had to walk through it in one night, that means they had to walk 5,000 abreast in a 3-mile-wide three, three space in that sea, and every time they camped, they needed a cramped campground two-thirds the size of Rhode Island. Every time they camped, they needed a campground that would take in 750 square miles. I got a question. So you're going to tell me you'd sleep good that night? Got another question. So does the Bible say that Moses had a plan for doing this? Nope. So does the Bible tell us that Moses had this all figured out? Nope. Does the Bible say that Moses had a consulting firm that had done this many times before and had everything already worked out? Nope. Moses had no idea what he was doing. He didn't have a clue. If you just said to Moses that night, hey, Moses, you know, we, we're leaving tomorrow, and we're, we we got to go to the promised land, and I just got a question, you know, where are you going to get the food, where are you going to get the firewood, and where are you going to get the water? How would you feel if Moses said, <laughs> I don't know. He didn't. So, Moses, what are we going to do? Moses says, (laughs) we're going to do the same thing tomorrow that got us where we are tonight. We're just going to go where God tells us to go. And we're just going to do what God tells us to do. And then we're just going to believe that God will do what he says he will do. Now, I don't know what Red Sea you're facing. I I don't know. Maybe, Maybe you are at an impasse in your marriage. Maybe you're facing a giant financial wave that's about to overwhelm you. Or maybe you need God to part a relational Red Sea between you and a relative or a friend. Here's all I can tell you. You can just choose to believe it or not. I believe it with everything in my being. What I just shared with you today is not a story of what God has done. It's a story of what God is still doing. The God of the Old Testament is not just the God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament is not just the God of the New Testament. The God of this book is the God of the 21st century. And what he has done, he can do, but only when you have done what you should do. Did you hear me? God, what God has done, God can do, but only when you do what you should do. Now, one last thing. One last thing, and I don't want to miss this. Because if I did, it'd be a bad sermon. I mean, you may sit there and say, I've kind of enjoyed this. I hope you have. I've worked hard, and I hope it blessed you. You know, if it didn't, tough luck. But if I stopped right here, I'd be the first one to tell you I missed it. So, well, what do you mean you missed it? What's well, one last thing? What the Exodus is in the Old Testament, the resurrection of Jesus is in the New Testament. If you think this is just a story about how a big body of water parted and God got a bunch of people through and killed an army, that's not what this story is just all about. That's part of it. Do you know what the Exodus is? It is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Because we faced a Red Sea called sin. And behind us there was this enemy called death. But you know what Jesus did? He held a cross over that Red Sea of sin and it parted. We walked on the other side and found forgiveness. And then he came back from the grave to put death to death so he could lead us to a promised land where we will live with him forever and forever. You see, all the Bible's about Jesus. He's the hero of the story. Let me tell you something. There's only one hero in the Bible. Excuse my grammar, but you'll love my theology. There's only one hero in the Bible. It ain't Moses, it ain't Samson. It ain't David, it ain't Peter, it ain't Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only one hero in the Bible, and that's Jesus. And when you read that exodus and you really understand it, you say, man, I get it now, Pastor. I understand. I'm even saved today. I'm even a believer today. I'm even a part of the family of God today because I experienced my own exodus. I came to a cross And I saw that cross part the Red Sea of my sin and I walked through that sin and I got forgiveness on the other side and yet death was chasing me down but then Jesus came back from the grave and he put death to death and I no longer have to fear death anymore. What an exodus that is. So just remember, when you're in that dead end, you're between that rock and that hard place, that catch 22 and you think you're out of options with God, There's not only always an option. (laughs) It's better than that. With God, there's always an option that never, ever fails. Let's pray together. With His bowed.